Welcome back to another episode of the History of California podcast. Uh, today we are making a transition to talk about Nunapera Serra, who is an important person in California history that a lot of people know uh, the name but don't know a lot about him, his history, um, and his enormous legacy that he left on California. So we're going to get into that today. We're not going to get too far into his biography. We need to uh, set a lot of context and some background information to really begin to understand him. But uh, by the end of this episode, you should have a sense of where he comes from and the stage will be set to begin to talk about uh, his impact on California. So I hope you enjoy. One of my favorite recent movies is The Martian. This movie, Matt Damon's character uh, plays a research biologist who is trapped on Mars after a failed evacuation. His character is forced to survive on a barren planet and comes up with creative ways to farm. In one scene, he remarks that as soon as someone farms on a new land, they consider that person to have colonized that place. This line is kind of treated like a joke, but it had me thinking about uh, the Western native people in California. Most of the native people uh, that we discussed in California did not farm in any traditional sense. For example, the Talawa, um, the native people in the northwestern uh, part of California, hunted, fished, and gathered, but didn't farm in any traditional sense. Um, so I guess you could make the argument from the Martian that, in some sense, uh, the colonization that happened in California uh, represented the first time that someone really uh, used the land in the same way that they talked about in the Martian. But in another sense, um, the Talawa people had lived there. Um, and just because they didn't use the land in one way, does that mean they didn't really colonize it? These thoughts were going through my head as we began to talk about the Spanish colonization. Um, and so just continuing our conversations from last week, um, the Spanish needed to expand their buffer zone to keep the Russians from encroaching too close from the north. Um, on top of this geopolitical move, the Spanish also layered a uh, theological uh, frame on top of that. Um, the part of the mission was religious. It was to spread the Catholic faith amongst the unchurched native people there. Um, the expedition north that we're going to talk about today uh, that represents the uh, real colonization by the Spanish in Alta California, Northern California, was moved in two groups. There was one group that moved by land, uh, Northern to California, and then one by sea. Uh, both groups departed from Baja, California. The group traveling by sea included three vessels, only two of which would actually make it to San Diego. That missing ship was assumed lost at sea. And the other group included... Uh, or traveled by land, rather. And that group included uh, the focus of today's podcast and the following podcast to come, Unipera Serra. If you ever get a chance to travel to Washington, D.C. and do it a capital tour, you will undoubtedly visit the statu uh, Statuary Hall. Uh, this hall and the adjacent rooms uh, contain about 100 statues, uh, two from each state, depicting the most important people from that state. One of the two statues from California depicts a man in a modest robe, uh, standing slightly hunched over. That man is Unipera If you ask most Californians, they would probably recognize the name. They might even tell you that he was associated with the missions. Uh, but I wager they could not tell you more than that. 
And yet, Sarah has probably left a bigger legacy in California than almost any other single person. And that's why we're going to spend a few weeks looking at him in particular. Sarah also retains a, a bit of controversy associated with him. The Catholic Church has long viewed Sarah as a saint, and John Paul II actually made him one in 1988. He did, in fact, accomplish a lot during his time in California. He created a system of missions, which if you went to an elementary school in California, you probably visited, um, and he helped to really build an economy. At the same time, as times and values have changed, many people question whether the institutions that Sierra created were ethical. Native groups and their allies have argued publicly that his statue should not be housed in the capital because he effectively destroyed whole native cultures. And so I guess a lot of, uh, I guess your views on Sarah depend on how you look at him and how your views are informed by a bigger ideas about religion, imperialism, and culture. The issue here that we need to focus on first and foremost um, is to understand Sarah by looking at who he is, by looking at where he came from, by looking at the views of the world that he came from, and then specifically at what he did. We'll start with the early years of Sarah's life. Unipero Sarah was born Miguel Jose Sarah on an island uh, in, right off the coast of Spain called Mallorca, in a town called Petra. When Sarah was two years old, a large fleet arrived on the island as a part of a final conquest in the Spanish Wars of Succession. Essentially, um, there was two main groups, and the objective of the war was to bring those two groups together in Spain. There's a lot of backstory here that we could go into, but suffice it to say, the political circumstances of Sarah's childhood were precarious at the beginning. Now, that contrasts with the island. The island is tropical, with warm temperatures, beautiful beaches, lots of wildlife. There's lots of uh, tourism that exists there today. Um, but the island, at the same time, has also been conquered many times. In addition to the Spanish, the Phoenicians, the Carthaginians, the Romans, the Vandals, all captured and held the island at one point in its history. Now, Sarah was baptized in a small church in the island. And he was baptized into the Catholic Church like all children living in Spain at that time. Um, there are three major Catholic events going on in the years leading up to Sarah's appearance on the stage. First, we have the Counter-Reformation. Many of you have likely heard of the Reformation, a time when various Catholic priests, theologians, and rebels wanted to rethink the way that uh, you could be a Christian, um, and in the process created a series of new churches that we have to this day. In response, the Catholic Church decided it needed to reform some of its practices in a way to keep up with the times and return to some of the roots of the religion. For example, there was a new emphasis on a personal relationship with Christ, and a lot of, the, uh, and a lot of groups wanted to revitalize uh, some of the spiritual traditions that had been lost over the years. Teresa Avila emerged in this time, and she uh, promoted mysticism, and she also wanted to expand churches in kind of an evangelical way. Uh, the second major movement that we need to know about in this time is the some of the first uh, Catholic missionaries uh, in this time period. Uh, they included uh, people like Francis Xavier, the Apostle to India, Thomas of Zumarga, who was burned alive during a mission in Japan. 
If you remember from your world history classes, this period is the period in which the world was expanding. Um, this is the period of exploration. Uh, you also might remember the concept of God, gold, and glory, um, and how many countries in Europe were trying to expand uh, their views of religion, uh, trying to acquire more gold, and then bring glory to their countries. Now, the first part is to expand God's glories in other places. Um, and that makes up the part that we're going to focus on for Sarah's purposes. Now, keep in mind, when I say, when I say this, when I exp say expanding God, this is not the same type of missionary work you might see today. Um, mission, missionaries associated with religions today uh, work apart from governments. Generally, they are NGOs or non-governmental organizations. Back then, in the time period that we're talking about, religion was intertwined with the power of the state. And allegiance to a religion was tantamount to allegiance to government. Religious people were, or religious missionaries were common, and they were typically, uh, there were typically proxy wars between uh, governments and religions. So the expansion of religion through exploration was part and parcel of a government expansion. The separation of church and state is still a long ways off, um, and it's important to keep in mind when you're thinking about what a missionary is. I spent these moments talking about this because many people come into the discussions of missionaries with modern ideas about what they are, but we need to get back to the world that we are exploring in order to really understand Sarah. We need to see what the word missionary meant back then and look at some examples. So let's spend a moment looking at the history of one missionary of this period so we can understand exactly what we're talking about. And we'll focus for a moment on Francis Xavier. Um, Xavier, uh, one of the missionaries that we mentioned before, was born Javier uh, in Spain, and is most famous for his association uh, with the famous Catholic name as Ignatius of Loyola, a very famous Catholic theologian. And we're gonna fast forward his life a little bit and get to his mission work in Asia. Um, Xavier spent his early missionary years in uh, India, specifically in Goa, and he spent his time there visiting and working with people who had been baptized uh, by previous Catholic priests, so he wasn't the first one to really go and evangelize here. He traveled the countryside around Goa, translated uh, the catechism, the Catholic catechism, which is the, uh, basically the process in which you become a Catholic, uh, into Tamil. Um, he baptized many more people and then proposed uh, to build schools in this area to maintain the faith of the population. Now, on the surface, while this does not seem too different from current models of mission work, there was a political motive in maintaining the faith in the population uh, that would ensure that the government that sent Xavier there uh, would maintain a positive relationship uh, with the people. Um, if you have the same religion as someone, um, there's a lot of conversations that are become easier as a result. And ultimately, this was just, um, I don't want to reduce it to this, but this was part of a mission, a geopolitical race, uh, to gain more resources for your particular home country. All right, so that's kind of some background on Catholicism. Let's go back to Mallorca and um, Sarah's childhood. So Sarah was the third uh, born child to his parents, but the previous two uh, had both died in infancy. His father owned six parcels of land that he tended with the help of his son. Farming at this point, at this place in the world, was a pretty precarious enterprise. Uh, the island that they live on was uh, fairly prone to drought, 
and much of the religious festivals that took place in the island were related to uh, exhorting God for uh, better harvests. And this precariousness of life and the need for st- uh, stability um, of necessities what would become a mental model uh, that Sarah would take with him uh, when he arrived in California. The other feature of his Mallorcan heritage uh, that would stay with him was the role of women. Uh, Mallorca was a massive textile manufacturing hub, um, and women were integral to the economy. And he would think about this as he designed the world of the missions. Um, and so women, uh, particularly women natives, uh, would have an important part in the missions. And uh, we can trace this back to uh, probably his society that he lived in and the view of women there. When he was 16, he was identified by a group of Franciscans living on the island as a potential talent to become a part of their order. He applied when he was 16 in part, um, but was rejected at first um, because of who uh, some attachments to his name, some previous uh, heretics that had the same last name. Uh, but once that was resolved, he was accepted six months later and became a part of the Franciscan order. He spent the first year of his commitment as a novice, training in the ways of St. Francis and learning the tenets of this particular brand of spirituality. Following their leader, St. Francis, Franciscans took vows of poverty um, and tried to basically live as simply as possible. And this is the point in which we're going to stop for today. Um, Hopefully that sets the stage for you to have a kind of a general sense of uh, Sarah's world and uh, some of the important features of his worldview Um, And we'll set the stage for next week, uh, where we begin to talk about his journey uh, to the new world and some of the things he will try to accomplish. Again, this is a story that's going to take a few weeks uh, to really kind of wrap our minds around. And so uh, we're going to spend quite a bit of time with Sarah um, because he's just so important for the legacy and and, uh, the forward-going progress of California as a distinct unit. So... I hope you've enjoyed uh, this podcast and stay tuned for our next episode.